we're going to uh, we're going to do a bit of a side side project this morning. We've been working through the book of Nehemiah, um, which I've been thoroughly enjoying, to be honest with you. Um, it's actually there's a handful of books that I've never actually taught through in this kind of setting. Uh, Nehemiah is one of them, and it's just a phenomenal book. But the way I've outlined the, the teaching series is that we've actually planned a couple of breaks throughout, so this will be one of those mornings, um, and then we'll pause again in about another four weeks. This morning, I'd like to share a Father's Day message with you guys, and it's not just for the fathers, um, but it is especially for the fathers. I hope this is a real gift to you today. So we're going to go to the book of Genesis chapter 22 and read the story, uh, biblically speaking, a rather famous story about a father and a son who went for a hike up a mountain. So we're going to read out of Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven 
and as the sand that is on the seashore, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went out together. We'll stop there. Uh, you might recognize this story, as I said, biblically speaking. Uh, this is one of the more popular stories about Abraham, Father Abraham. It's a shocking story. There's elements of it that are like traumatic, um, confusing. Like, why on earth? And what is going on? I also think there's some incredible um, glimpses into the heart of God contained within this passage. If I were to give my message this morning a title, if I were to give it a title, I think I'd entitle it uh, Wisdom, Fatherly Wisdom from a Father-Son Trip Up the Mountain or something like that. (laughs) I had it all worked out beforehand. Fatherly Wisdom as we consider this journey of a father and a son up the mountain, I think that there's something, I mean, there are layers upon layers to this story. Actually, uh, just some of you um, might know one of our, our local Christian celebrities, Tim, Tim Mackey. Any fans of the Bible Project in here? So good. So I've taken a few of his courses at Western. I just took uh, his Ezekiel course last week. Um, it was an intensive. And um, I've taken them with Isaiah, um, Genesis as well. And uh, it, the thing I love about Tim Mackey is that he, it's, it's like taking the red pill. It's, it's, a, it's a trip down the rabbit hole, straight into the matrix. And you realize that the way God inspired these words, the way the biblical authors tell the narrative, this isn't just historical content. It's not just the facts. There's, there, there's symmetry. There's, there's literary structure. There's... There's, there's more to the story than just the words themselves. And if you look for the clues, this is what I love about Tim Mackey, um, you find there's like stories within stories within stories. And not only are we reading about the, the, an event, a rather bizarre, intense event that took place between Abraham and his son Isaac, but we're catching a glimpse into the very heart of God. And this is a story that God is revealing aspects of his own heart as Father, as Heavenly Father. So I want us to consider a few of these things this morning, and this is, what I've, this is what I'm bringing to you. What can we learn? What can we learn about the Father heart of God as he reveals himself in this father-son moment as they hike up the mountain? Um, every good father has desires for his children. I I've not met a father yet who doesn't want to be the best dad they can possibly be. Oftentimes, because they never had a great dad, and they're like, man, this is my mission in life. I'm going to be the dad that I never had. Or perhaps they had a phenomenal dad, and they just want to carry on the legacy. Or perhaps they're just a dad, and they're human, and they, they know the feeling of seeing that little one come into the world and instantly falling in love with that little messy blob on the table. And you're like, oh my gosh, how do I love this little thing so much? And once you feel that, there's something deep inside of you that just wants to be the very best dad you can be, and you have desires to give good gifts to your children. 
And I think the desire comes straight from the heart of God. Every good father desires to provide for their sons and their daughters. And I think that's the first, arguably most obvious um, thing that we might glean from this story. As Abraham is leading his son up the mountain, God reveals to him that he is his provider. God is provider. I think that, and this isn't even just a father thing. This could obviously apply to father and mother. Heck, auntie and uncle for that matter. Anyone who has a little one that you just love and adore. But the father wants to provide. And I think we can sometimes think of providing for our children merely in terms of material provision. Give them a roof over their head. Give them food to eat. Um, give them an iPhone when they're 13, right? whatever, whatever, whatever your family does. Ours will get there when they're 20. I think that's what we decided. Evie's been asking since she was like five. And that's fine. And in fact, in the New Testament, um, it's 1 Timothy 5, I believe. Paul, writing uh, to Timothy, says explicitly that if a man fails to provide for his household, he's worse than an unbeliever. Those are extreme words. So it's actually very important as a father to provide for your family. It's a biblical mandate. It's actually, it's loving. It's really loving. But I think there's more to it than that. And in fact, I would argue that what we see happening in this story isn't just Abraham providing or God the Father providing in the moment in some sort of material or superficial manner. What we see happening is through the moment, Abraham is demonstrating to his son what it looks like for the father to look to, his, to the heavenly father for provision. I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your child is to demonstrate for them what it looks like to be a man who seeks God for provision. We need more we need fathers who can be more than just providers. We need men who can say, at the end of the day, I'm also just a man. And you'll see someday that I too am mortal. I'm not perfect. And I will do my utmost to provide for you and my family in every way that I can. But at the end of the day, I will fall short because I too need a savior. But if we can demonstrate for our children what it looks like to look to our provider for our provision, that is a gift from God. Will your sons or your daughters or your nieces or your nephews or the little ones who are watching you see a man who prays, who stewards, who gives, who interacts with God as the ultimate provider, will they get to see what it looks like for a man who doesn't have it all put together, who doesn't have a mill in the bank, who doesn't always have the means to provide as he might desire, looking to the God who can provide, who is able 
like no other humanly father, human father. And so that's, that's point number one, point number one. Every good father desires to give their child guidance. Now, if you're not a dad, you may not, maybe you've never thought this or ever experienced this firsthand, but as a father of three, I desperately want to be a wise source of guidance for my children. I want to be the kind of dad that when they get to that point in their life where they're beginning to make like real significant decisions, not like which cartoon to watch, but Papa, who should I marry? What path should I choose in life? And as they look to me, I want to have like the right answers. I want to be able to say something really wise. They might say, geez, Dad, I'm, I'm so glad I came to you. And that would be a great gift to give my children. But what we see in this story is actually a father who's not just giving the right answer. But halfway through the narrative, we, we see that Isaac's beginning to connect the dots and he realizes that there's something missing, that he's going with father to worship and, and sacrifice and normally that would involve a lamb and they've got the knife and the fire and he's carrying the wood and all of a sudden it dawns on him, father, here I am, son, where's the lamb? That's, um, that's a complex question. I don't know if I have a simple answer. And so I would say that one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our children as fathers is not just to be the man with all of the answers, but to be the kind of father that your son or your daughter would go to you when they do have questions, when there's not a simple answer. I was speaking with um, a friend, a mentor of mine, uh, just last week, actually, um, one of my heroes, to be honest with you, a guy named uh, Greg Mitchell, Dr. Greg Mitchell. He's a pastor up in Vancouver, B.C., and occasionally he'll call me to check up on me. He says he's just calling me because we're friends, but I, I think he actually wants to know that, like, I'm doing well. And um, he's very fatherly like that. And he's asking me about my family and my kids. And I said, you know, Isaac's at the age now where he's, he's, he's becoming a little man. He's at that age. And, um, and I said, I'm beginning to sort of feel the gravity of that. And then soon enough, it'll be Evie and then Judah. And, and, and it's happening. It's happening. It's like I've heard that this, this was inevitable, but my kids are starting to grow up. And, and I feel like uh, whatever advice or direction or wisdom or guidance I could have given him, like, it's, it's done. I mean, it's only a couple more years, and it's like he's, the trajectory's been set. And he said, yeah, that's, mm -hmm, that sounds about right. He says, but don't, don't worry. So the most important thing, and he, he kind of gave me this advice, as long as your sons and daughter are still talking to you, it's going to be all right. You'll find at some point you don't have simple answers to life's complex questions, and that's okay. When they're beginning to try to connect 
the difficult dots of life, who will they go to? Will you have cultivated the kind of relationship when they're beginning to freak out and they realize, hang on a second, something's not right here. I'm starting to freak out. Will they cry out, Father? Or will they Google? Will they cry out, Father, I need help. I'm confused. I'm scared. I don't know what's happening. I don't know which way to go next. Father. Or will they go to a peer who really knows no better than they do? Friends are good, especially loving, godly friends. But Father, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children in way of guidance is to cultivate the kind of relationship that when they're beginning to navigate the complex waters of life, they will go to you because they know you'll listen, because they know you're not gonna try to offer them some simplistic pat answer, because they know they're not gonna get a lecture every time they've screwed up. You know, one of the things, uh, conversations that I have begun with my, well, my eldest son at this point, it's to do with sexuality. We started talking about um, pornography probably a couple years ago. Not like, hey, I want to talk about this. Dad, you're weird. That's gross. No, but I want to talk about it. <laughs> More of just like, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, you have friends at school with iPhones. Have you ever seen pictures of etc., etc.? Opening that door, beginning that conversation so that when the time comes, and they have those difficult, scary questions to ask. He knows to cry, Father. Father. I'm here, son. What do you want to talk about? The conversation began years ago. What do you want to talk about? Every father desires to foster. This is the third point. Every father desires to foster a deep uh, sense of security in their child's life. I want my kids to grow up to, to be secure people so that as they enter into like adult life, they're not looking to find security in things that ultimately are going to let them down and possibly ruin their lives. I want my daughter to know what it feels like at a deep, deep level that she is loved. She's always been loved and she always will be loved and she doesn't have to go looking for that love from someone else who might just end up exploiting her because of that desire. I want my boys to know that they are loved and they belong. They will never ever be rejected or, or be or, or feel to be made less than when they fail to measure up, when they do fail, when they do mess up, when they're anticipating rejection. I want them to have a sense of security so deeply embedded in their souls that the world cannot leverage that shame, that fear of rejection, that they will be secure people as they grow up. So Abraham and Isaac 
were going up the mountain. We're told that three times, this is the pattern. Look for the patterns in the story. Three times, it says they went out together. They set out together. Three days later, they could see the place from afar. They began to ascend the mountain together. And then at the end of the narrative, it says that they went to Beersheba is where they ended up. They went together. Throughout this entire traumatic ordeal, could you imagine, (laughs) this is like the camping trip from hell. Taking my boy out hiking. We're going to go ascend Mount Hood. It's going to be great, son. You're going to love it. Halfway up the mountain, wait a second, dad. What the heck is happening right now? Is this some like weird culture part of? Like, I thought Yahweh wasn't into child sacrifice. I thought that was for like the other gods. Like, what is happening right now? Insecurity begins to set in. Anxiety goes off the charts. Dad, here I am, son. I'm still with you. I'm still here. We're in this together. You know, when it comes to fostering security in the life of a child, there is nothing, nothing that can come close to the father's presence in the child's life. And the mother's presence. But it's Father's Day. I'm with you. We're together. No matter what happens, we're together. No matter what you do, we're together. No matter how confusing it gets, we're together. This is one of the great promises in Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Ever. You know, when it comes to fostering security in the heart of a child, you cannot outsource your presence. You can't outsource your presence. Either you're there or you're not. That's personally very convicting. Because planning a church, and kind of what feels like a replant after COVID, it's kind of time-consuming. Renovating a building, preparing sermons, going to seminary, all these things. Wow, 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 poor me. Uh, it's time-consuming. And fortunately, I have a wife who lovingly um, challenges me, reminds me, hey, we need you. We need you here. We need you home. I need you. I need a date. The kids need their father in the house. And I say, you know, you're right. Screw the church. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry. Can we edit that out? (laughs) No, leave it in. This is is going out live. I don't say that. I've never said that. I love the church. Fathers, if we want to impart that kind of security... And the life of our children, we need to be present. They need to know that we are together. We're together. Last point, fourth point. Every good father desires to provide. And I made the point that not only is it good to provide, but 
Abraham is, is demonstrating what it looks like to point to the provider. God will provide. He is the provider. Secondly, we desire to um, guide our children. But we'll find that eventually we're not like the wise, sage fathers that we, we, we think we're going to become. And in fact, what our kids need aren't just simplistic pat answers, but they need to know that I can talk to you. That when the feces interfaces with the fan, I can go to father. <laughs> I can cry out to father. And our children are growing up secure adults because they knew that no matter how difficult things may have gotten along the way, we were together. Father was always present. He always came home from work. Fourthly, every good father desires to instill a sense of purpose in their child. Some of you are, are probably in your early 20s, so you'll, you might remember feeling this recently. Graduating from college, if you went to college, and then transitioning into like grown-up life where you're like looking for a job, and maybe for a week, month, or a couple of years, you're like feeling this existential crisis. Who am I? Like what, what happened to me? Where, where am I? And you begin to ask the deep, hard questions of like purpose and calling and like, like what, what am I meant to do with my life now that I've got a billion dollar degree? Like, where am I going? And I don't know if there's really any way to like fully avoid that. That's just part of transitioning in life. But something that we could impart to our children from a very young age, fathers, is a sense that like your life isn't meant just for yourself. Our marriage Mama and Papa, our love for each other isn't something that we do just for us. All of the blessings that we enjoy as a family aren't meant to be hoarded just for the Bardonis. This isn't just about us. And so we teach our children everything that we've been given, all of the blessings that we enjoy aren't meant to simply be hoarded for us. We're meant to bless the world around us. And this is where that sense of purpose comes from. This is where a, a young person grows up into an adult that isn't self-centered, as if the world needs more of, of those people. But a young person who begins to see every challenge in life, opportunity, and transition as, as another means of sharing their life with the world. And so they don't have to necessarily live in a perpetual state of existential uh, unknowing or crisis or what, what am I meant to do with my life. My father taught me at a very young age that the blessings we've been given from our provider are meant to be utilized for the good of the world, to bless the people around us, to be shared, that we're meant to be generous people like our heavenly father. And the opportunities that I've been afforded, the privileges that I have, the things that I've worked so hard to achieve aren't meant to be used just on myself, but I'm meant to bless the world. Fathers, we must demonstrate what it looks like to live this sort of calling. 
before our children. This is the great challenge. How do we live our lives? I was recently talking with a dad just a couple days ago. I was filling out a, a, a pastoral reference uh, for a young man who was trying to attend a Christian school, and, um, which I think is amazing. But the father confessed to me. It was, it was, very, it was actually very, um, it blessed me because it was a really sort of humble moment. And he said, I have utterly failed uh, as a, as a, to be a Christian father for my family. I think that's how he said it. He said, I, I, haven't, I haven't taken my family to church I haven't been the one to initiate prayer around the dinner table. I haven't been the one to, 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 to invest the family's finances for the purposes of the kingdom and the local church. I haven't done these things to demonstrate for my children what it looks like to live on mission with and for Jesus, to live for the, the cause of Christ, to partner with, with others for the sake of the gospel and to lose our lives so that others might taste the goodness of our Heavenly Father. And, and he was sort of expressing these things, and I didn't really say much. It was a heavy moment. I finally said, it's not too late. It's never too late. Not even if your kids are grown up, it's never too late. And in fact, some of you never will have kids. Some of you will never marry, and you'll never have kids, and that's Okay. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. The New Testament says in two different places, 1 Corinthians and Philemon, that some of you will be spiritual fathers and mothers. And that is just as significant as becoming a biological dad or mother. It is never, ever too late to start fathering the young people around you. Now, there's more to the story. There's another layer. Um, 42 generations go by. 14 generations between Abraham and King David. Another 14 years between David and Israel's exile to Babylon. 14 generations after that, the Messiah finally comes. It's 42 generations later, Jesus appears. Same place. This Mount Moriah, there's virtually unanimous consensus among Jewish scholars that this mount is where the temple was eventually built in Jerusalem. We've been reading about this in Nehemiah. Same place, 42 generations later, the Son of God appears. And he also ascends the mountain with wood on his back led by his father. And there's a togetherness, and they go, and he sacrifices. He is the Lamb of God who comes to die for the sins of the world, our sins, yours and mine. And it's this story, it's this narrative all over again. You know what's really interesting about the Isaac Abraham version of the story? It's, again, three times in the story, there's this phrase, here I am, when they're about to set out God speaks to Abraham, and Abraham says, here I am. As they're ascending the mountain, Isaac says to his father, father. And Abraham says, here I am. The third time, God himself calls to Abraham once again, and Abraham responds. He says, here I am. But here's the symmetry that, you, that God blessed Tim Mackey that you learn to look for 
right in the middle, the center, here I am. It's in that moment that he's actually responding to Isaac, this phrase, here I am. Normally, it's when God is speaking to a human or a father is speaking to his child. In fact, every, it's like 28 times throughout the Old Testament. You see this phrase, here I am, here I am. The only time, there's only two times when a father says to his son, it's like the other way around, here I am. It's when Isaac calls out to Abraham, says, father, and he says, son, here I am. And then it's again when Isaac himself, now an old man, is responding to his son, Jacob, hundred-year-old man. There's this beautiful symmetry about it. But here's the point that I want to make. In this story, Abraham's not only the father. He's also the son following the guidance of his heavenly father as he is led up the mountain. So Abraham is this like, he's like this dual figure in the story. He's the father leading a son, but he's also the son being led by his father, Yahweh, as he ascends the mountain to make sacrifice, to worship. And so here's my final point. You want to give a good gift to your children, to your future children, to your spiritual child, father? Show them what it looks like to be a beloved child of God. Trusting, obeying, Loving and being loved by your heavenly father. Show them what it looks like to walk in loving relationship with our heavenly father. As they watch you be a beloved child of God, they'll see with their own eyes, oh, this is what it looks like to be loved. This is what it looks like to walk in relationship and vulnerability. This is what it looks like to look to my provider who is in heaven, who knows how to perfectly provide and in just always the right timing. This is what it looks like to not just have pat answers to complex questions of life, but to know that I can go to my heavenly father even when my earthly father is pastor, perhaps I never even knew them and cry out, Abba, Father. You know, that, that expression, that Aramaic word, Abba, it appears three times in the New Testament. Once in the Gospel of Mark, and then once in Romans and Galatians. The context, all three times, the first time in the Gospel of Mark is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's coming to terms with the fact that he's about to be crucified. And he's wrestling, he's sweating blood, and he's, he's alone there in the garden. As even his, his closest disciples, his friends, have fallen asleep, and it's just him and his father. And he's saying, Father, if there is any other way, please take this cup away from me. And he cries out, Abba, Father. And the context is it's in a moment of great fear and anguish. In Romans and Galatians, Paul talks about we, like Jesus, have received the Spirit who teaches us to cry out, Abba, Father, because we're no longer slaves to fear. Father, teach your son, teach your daughter what it looks like to cry out, Abba, Father, in the face of fear. When the darkness of this world is looming and, and begins to, 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 to be overwhelmed, teach your son, teach your daughter 
This is what it looks like to be vulnerable and cry out, Abba, Father, I'm scared. Help me. Don't just be the strong man, the impenetrable, know-it-all dad who, who never shows fear, who's never vulnerable, who's, who's always got the answers. Demonstrate for your child, this is what it looks like to be weak and cry out, Abba, Father, because we have a Father in heaven who's for us, who will never leave us, who's the master of redemption. We must show our sons and daughters what it looks like to be a beloved child of God. That's the greatest gift we can give our children. Can we stand together, please? We're going to worship now. Okay. We're going to worship. Abraham told his son, the two young men, who are presumably carrying the luggage. We're going to go up the mountain and we're going to worship. Which meant we're going we're to make a sacrifice. We're going to worship now because God has made sacrifice for us. The sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. God the Father gave the Son of God to shed His blood, to suffer and die for us to make atonement for our sins because he is a good father. That's why we worship. That's why we sing. That's why we turn our affection to this good, good father because of who he is and what he's done. I know some of us were like, ah, man, I, I don't like to sing songs. It's my least favorite part about church. Some of you, it's the opposite. Can I be honest with you? I must be nice. I don't really care what you like or don't like. I care that we are getting closer and closer and closer to this good, good God. This is, this is why we've been given life. This, it's, he's everything we're looking for. He's the one who satisfies our souls. He's the one who provides the security that we're all starving for. He's the one who never leaves us, who never did, who never will. He's the God to be feared. Remember that part in the story? Now I know that you fear me. Because you did not withhold your son from me. What are you withholding from God this morning? Can I beg you? Can I appeal to you? Can I ask you? Won't you surrender more of yourself to Jesus this morning? Let's worship him together.